This morning, we're continuing a sermon series that we started last week on saints and sinners. Last week, was we celebrated All Saints Day, and today we're looking at a story about a Samaritan woman. Uh, this is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I'm going to read some, it really goes through the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read some various verses from that chapter, but it's found on page 865 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So, John chapter 4, reading various verses. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said you are, to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to her, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and these who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So that when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
One of the benefits of growing up in a small town is that I could get, as a child, just about anywhere by just taking my bike or through the grace of my own two feet. In fact, my best friend, Hank Griffin, lived just around the corner from me, probably a 10-minute walk away. My other good friend, Keith Porter, lived just on the other side of my neighborhood, and I could ride my bike over to his house. And from those two places, we could go almost anywhere. There was a drugstore where we could get candy and baseball cards. There was a hamburger place not too far away. There was even a local swimming pool where I would go and spend most of my summers. In fact, most summer mornings, I would get up early, and I would ride my bike to the swimming pool. I would cut up through a couple of backyards, get up to Montclair Avenue, go straight down Ascot Drive, which was a a really steep road that would go to Sheffield Drive, where I would turn right on Sheffield, left on Windsor, and before you knew it, I was right there in front of the pool, park my bike in the pool yard, and go practice my cannonballs for the rest of the day. But every now and then, my route had to change. That was if Bonnie was outside. You see, Bonnie was about a 50-pound child dog who lived on Ascot Drive. And when I would be going to the pool as I was flying down that steep hill of Ascot Drive, if she was out there, she would growl and bark, and it would thunder throughout the neighborhood. I could make it past her when I was going downhill, but when I had to come back going uphill... There was no way I could make it past her. So then on those days, I had to take the long way back home, take the long roundabout way uh, back up Sheffield through the long block to get back home safely because I knew Bonnie wouldn't let me pass. Now, I have to tell you, there's no record of Bonnie actually biting anybody, which is probably why my brother was not uh, afraid of Bonnie like I was. But one summer's day, we decided we were going to race each other home from the pool. We started heading back, and I knew that Bonnie was out. And so when we got to that fork in the road, I, I turned and headed up Sheffield because I knew Alex would get to Bonnie and have to turn around and come back. She wouldn't let him pass. But sure enough, about 20 minutes later, I finally got home and Alex had been there for about 20 minutes laughing and wondering why it took me so long. And I told him, because Bonnie was out, didn't she, didn't she get you? And Alex just shook her head, his head and said, no, I'm not afraid of Bonnie. But every now and then we take the long way around. Sometimes that seems like the right thing to do. We do it even now. There are times when we're traveling to South Carolina for the holidays, we take the long way around Atlanta so we can bypass some of that traffic. Or There are times when we see friends or family and we know we're just going to have some confrontation with them, so we take the long way around so we don't have to meet them face to face. Sometimes there's neighborhoods that we just know or worry, that's going to be an unsafe neighborhood, so we take the long way around that neighborhood. Or, Or maybe when we're trying to park our car and we can't parallel park, we take the long way around the block so that we can find another parking place. Sometimes taking the long way around is the, is the easy thing to do, the best thing to do, maybe even at times the right thing to do, but it's nothing new. It's been happening for centuries. Even Jews and Samaritans took the long way around from time to time. We've talked about many times before the difference between Jews and Samaritans, the way they were always at each other's throats, the way they were always standing against each other. Believe it or not, they came from the same family. They came from the tribes of Israel. They came from Father Abraham. But during the exile, when the Assyrians wiped out the northern kingdom, 
The people of the north, they changed some of their faith because of those conquerors. They intermarried with some of those families, and so some of their faith that they had inherited for Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they changed somewhat, even so much that they built their own temple up in the north. Of course, as you might imagine, this made the Jewish people mad. They thought they were unholy and unclean and and unworthy of being called the people of God. And so uh, the Jews and the Samaritans were, were always at each other's throats, calling each other out. At times, in fact, by the time Jesus came along, there were records of Jews and, and Samaritans fighting each other, even killing each other. And so they tried to avoid each other. if at all possible, to take the long way around when they knew they were going to bump into each other. But that was difficult for people who lived in Galilee. Because you see, Galilee up in the north, if you were traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem, to Judea in the south, the quickest way, the straight way, was to go through Samaria, where all of the Samaritans, many of the Samaritans lived. That was a three-day journey just to get from Galilee to Jerusalem. But if you wanted to take the long way around, it took six days to go all the way around Samaria so you didn't have to bump into any of those unholy, unclean Samaritans. Believe it or not, many of the Jews chose to take the long way around. They didn't want to put themselves in danger. They didn't want to put themselves in harm's way. They didn't want to put themselves in danger of bumping into unholy, unclean people. That's what makes what Jesus does so miraculous in our story this morning. He doesn't take the long way around. He's traveling back up from Jerusalem, back up to Galilee, and he says, no, 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 we're going to go straight through. I can only imagine this was a well-planned out journey. The disciples probably had already planned ahead about where they could stay during those three days of safe places where they could eat so they wouldn't uh, get sick or get in trouble. And as they were journeying, they got to a a little fork in the road that was right outside of a town called Sakaar. They stayed there at the fork in the road. It was right on the journey path. And, and the disciples said, Jesus, just stay here. We're going to run into town. We're going to find some food for us to eat. And that's when Jesus did something else that was very courageous, very brave, maybe even unthinkable at the time. He went over to this well and spoke to a Samaritan woman. Now, commentaries are full of all the reasons why he, Jesus, was not supposed to do this. First and foremost, she was a Samaritan from a Samaritan city. Strike one. She was not only a Samaritan from a Samaritan city, but she was a woman. And believe it or not, at that time, rabbis were not supposed to speak to women in public to, to, keep their own, to save their own face and to keep themselves holy. And so, much less a, a Samaritan woman, Jesus was not supposed to speak to her. Strike two. And then finally, we learn from the story, whether it's fair or not, she has a label put upon her, a label of being unfaithful, most likely despised and rejected by the Samaritans in her own town. Strike three. This was not a person that Jesus was supposed to speak to. This was not a person that Jesus was supposed to to interact with at all. Jesus was supposed to avoid her, to take a long way around the well. But for some reason, Jesus went straight up to her, asked her to help him get some water, and then offered her living water in return. Way gives us a good example of the courage that it takes 
to be a follower of Jesus Christ, crossing those boundaries, reaching out to people who are despised and rejected, even when everyone around us tells us that's the wrong thing to do. And those things still happen every single day around here and around the world. Several years back when I was studying this passage back in seminary, it reminded me of a song that I'd heard from a group called Cademan's Call. It was a, a song called Share the Well. The, the lead singer of the, of the band at the time, Derek Webb, had traveled to, to India to, to travel around and share his music and share the gospel with people there. And while he was there, he got to meet a group of people. The, they were called the Dalits. Roughly translated, it means the scattered or the broken, or we might think of it as the untouchables. But in the Hindu caste system, the deletes were at the, the bottom, the bottom of the totem pole. They were the people that were unclean, unworthy, that you wanted to, to stay away from. You wanted to avoid them at all costs. One day he was sitting talking to somebody in the middle of the little village where he was, and real close to the well in the center of the town. And one of these Dalits came up to try to get some water from the well. And guess what? People started yelling, delete, 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 and telling them to push that person away. People came from all over the place to defend the well from this untouchable person who was just trying to get life-giving water. I can imagine Jesus talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman, and as the disciples walk back up, probably thinking, Samaritan, 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 what are you doing? Don't talk to her. But that happens all around us when we see people who are different than us, and you think that, that we're very different from those people around the world. It was not too long ago that we had signs on our water fountains in our bathrooms saying only certain people are allowed. We do things like that to, to define ourselves over and against other people, somehow to give ourselves value in the face of the differences of our world. But Jesus crossed those boundaries. Jesus reached out and spoke to her for one simple reason. She was thirsty. Thirsty like everybody else. She was thirsty for what you and I are thirsty for. She was thirsty for meaning, for purpose, for new life. Each and every one of us need that, whether we realize it sometimes or not. We need a place where we belong, a place where we are valued, maybe sometimes in spite of ourselves, where we are valued and loved so we can flourish into new life. And that's what this living water was that Christ was offering her. Each and every one of us need a place where we belong, and that belonging can be transformative. I told you this sweet story several years ago. It was a story that a friend of mine uh, who was a teacher told me about her one of her uh, kindergarten classes. It was right around the Christmas time, in fact, and she was decided to take her kindergarten class on a field trip to a little Christmas shop in town. She knew the owner. She thought it would be a, a great way to get the kids, you know, in the Christmas spirit, but also to teach them a little bit about how stores worked, how buying things worked. They walked around the store and looked at all the Christmas ornaments, and the owner of the shop thought this would be neat if we just scanned the items. You could see how the little price... Uh, gun, the price scanner worked. And so they would bring an ornament up and she would scan it, beep, beep. And she would say, oh, that ornament is $15. And the kids would run out and grab something else, beep, beep. She would scan it and they would say, oh, that's $20. They kept doing that for a while until finally one of the kids said, scan me. Tell me how much I cost. 
The owner kind of smiled and made the beep beep noise himself and he said, oh, you're a million dollars. Another kid came up and said, scan me, beep beep, oh, you're a billion dollars. Kept getting bigger and bigger until finally a young boy came up and he scanned that little boy too and with teared in eyes, the little boy looked up wondering how much he would cost. The owner said, oh, you're billions and billions of dollars and the little boy said, no, I want to be free. Teacher came up and explained the situation. Turns out this little boy was from a foster family. They were struggling of how to pay all their bills during the Christmas season and he had heard those struggles and wondered if that was why he hadn't been adopted, why he hadn't been accepted. All he wanted was to be free so that he could be accepted into a family, a place where he was loved, a place where he was valued, a place where he belonged. All of us need that. All of us need a place where we belong. All of us need a place where we know that we are loved and that deep well of love will never run out. And something incredible happens when we know we belong, we're transformed. When we belong, then we can believe. Believe in the promises that God has given to us. When we belong, we're transformed in these people who believe, believe not only that we are are loved, but believe that that love is overflowing, that we can't do anything to to cancel that love out so that love can be shared with all. And that's what happens to this woman in the story when she realizes finally that Jesus is willing to cross any boundary to tell her that she belongs. She's transformed. Transformed not only into a believer, but into a preacher. Did you catch that at the end of the story? Once she's told that she's belonged, once she believes, she goes right back to her city to all those people who had rejected her before. And it was because of her that they believed. It was because of her that they believed. That's what happens when we belong and we believe. We're transformed into people who bear the gospel into the world. It happens all the time around us every day. In fact, one of my favorite stories about one of my favorite authors, some of you know Anne Lamott or have heard of her, she tells a similar story about her own conversion. In the early 80s, she was uh, turned off by the church. Her parents had taught her not to go to church anymore. She surrounded herself with intellectuals and knew that everything the church taught was false. She had gotten caught up in the rat race and trying to make herself worthy and valuable compared to the other people around her. And she was struggling. Struggling with shame and struggling with guilt, struggling with alcohol, struggling with pain medicine. But then one evening, when she was struggling mightily, she was laying in her bed almost too hurt to move, and she felt this sense there was some presence in the room with her. She writes, I became aware of someone with me hunkered down in the corner. The feeling was so strong that I actually went to turn on the light to make sure no one was there. And of course there wasn't. 
But after a while in the dark again, I knew it was Jesus just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft watching me with patience and with love. That feeling continued for her for the next few days. She said it was almost like a cat that followed her around everywhere. She couldn't get rid of it as hard as she tried until finally one day she decided to let the cat in. She decided to change her life and to accept that this Jesus accepted her, loved her, and would never let her go. And now many years later, preachers like me quote her from the pulpit. She's an evangelist. She bears the gospel to the world by bearing her soul and bearing her faith to the world. That's what happens when we discover the miracle of mattering to God. That's what happens when we realize that those promises that we just made at baptism are for all of us. We belong here. And when we realize we belong, we believe. And we're transformed. You know, there are people out there who need to hear it too. People out there who need to know that they belong. Need to know that they're not despised and rejected like they feel nearly every day that this world who says we don't really want you here, they need to know that Christ does want them here. And that's our calling. Once you belong, once you believe, you're called to bear the gospel to the world. And the whole city believed because of her. To the glory of God. Amen.